This is the Hasidic Story Project with Barack Holman, podcasting from Jerusalem, Israel. This podcast is sponsored by listeners just like you. To become a supporter of this podcast, please go to HasidicStory.com. H-A-S-I-D-I-C Story.com. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. Shalom Aleichem, my sweetest friends. I'm dedicating this episode to the continued success of our soldiers in battle, wherever they are. To the refuah the full recovery of everyone who's been injured or is sick. To the returning of the hostages, whole, healthy, and complete. And the continued unity of the Jewish people everywhere around the world. This week I have one story for you, a long Baal Shem Tov story. Reb Shmuel was a devoted chassid of the Heidegger Baal Shem Tov. And he went several times a year to visit his Rebbe, to take in the holiness in Mejibuz, to learn and grow. And every time he would come back home, his wife would say to him, No, Shmuel, how did it go? And he said, Oh, I forgot to ask the Rebbe again. She got upset at him. She said, You know, every time you go to the Rebbe, and you go multiple times a year, you promise that you're going to ask the Rebbe for a bracha, for a blessing for us to have children. But then the Rebbe doesn't pay any attention to you, or he says he doesn't have time, where he says he can't help, and it's not enough that with all of your wealth and all of the support you give to the Rebbe and his court and all of his chassidim, that the Rebbe can't for once do something for you. And he said to his wife, Hannah, you know, I feel it's a bit chutzpadik, it's a bit audacious to ask the Rebbe for a bracha. The Rebbe for sure knows our situation, and I don't have to tell him anything. He already knows that we need children. But Hannah said, Shmuel, you have to tell him to give us a bracha. Obviously, he's not doing it. And I'll tell you, Shmuel, I'm really fed up with this. We've been married for 20 years now, and we don't have children. If you don't ask the Baal Shem Tov to promise to daven for us to have children, then there's no reason to stay married to you. I'm going to ask for a divorce. And Shmuel loved his wife, and he didn't want a divorce. And he loved his Rebbe, and he didn't want to ask his Rebbe for a bracha. But the next time he went to visit the Baal Shem Tov, with a heavy heart, he approached the Rebbe, and right away the Baal Shem Tov said, Shmuel, I can see that something is weighing on you. What's going on? He said, Rebbe, my wife threatened to divorce me if I don't ask you for a blessing, that we have children. You know, Rebbe, we've been married for 20 years now, and we still don't have children. Maybe you could give us a little bracha, help us out. And the Baal Shem Tov said, yes, Shmuel, I can help you. But are you sure you know what you're asking for? And Shmuel said, Rebbe, I'm asking for a child. Is there something I don't know? And the Rebbe said, yes, Shmuel. In order to have a child, you'll have to give up all of your wealth. You're going to lose everything. And that's a lot of money for a wealthy person like you. And Shmuel, he sighed. (sighs) And he said, you know, Rebbe, what's the point of having all this money if I don't have a child to spend it on? So yes, I agree, Rebbe. I agree to lose all of my wealth. But the Baal Shem Tov said, you can't just agree by yourself. Your marriage is a partnership. Your wife also has to agree. Go back home and tell her my offer. And come back here and tell me what she says. So Shmuel went back and he told Hannah what the Baal Shem Tov had said. And right away, she said, I agree. I'd much rather have a son than have money. Of course, I'd like to have both. But if I don't have a choice, we spent enough years being wealthy and not having children. Now it's time for us to have a child, and we can live without the money. 
So Shmuel returned to the Baal Shem Tov. And the Baal Shem Tov now gave further instructions to Shmuel. He said, when you return home, you're going to see that you've been wiped out completely financially, both your business and your home. But even though you've lost everything, I promise you, your wife will become pregnant very soon after. And as a result of losing all of your money and all of your possessions and your home, you'll have no choice but to wander around from city to city, begging for a crust of bread and hoping to find a roof over your head. And each time you settle down for a day or two, you'll be forced to move to the next city. And when you reach the last few months of your wife's pregnancy, you can both come to me here in Mejibuz, and I will have a small house for you with a clean room and a maidservant to take care of your wife until she gives birth. And when Shmuel got back home, he wasn't surprised to learn that his house and his factory and his warehouses and everything that he had owned had burned to the ground. There was absolutely nothing left. Now normally he would have been devastated, but he knew that the Baal Shem Tov said this was going to happen. And so he wasn't upset because along with the fire, he knew would be a child. And it didn't take long before Hannah discovered that she was indeed pregnant. But by this time, they were wandering around from town to town, begging from door to door, not having food or a place to sleep. And it took its toll on the two of them. It was completely exhausting. Every time they found a place to stay, a day or two later, they'd be kicked out. Not having food, not having money, not having a permanent place to stay. It wasn't easy for the people that were formerly wealthy. But every day, they would see Hannah's stomach growing, and they knew there was a baby inside. And when Hannah was already in her final months, she said to her husband Shmuel, You know, I can't really walk around anymore, and I'm concerned for the baby's health. I think it's time that we took up the Baal Shem Tov on his offer. Let's head over to Mejibuz. And when they arrived, they found out that the Baal Shem Tov had prepared the house and the maidservant, just like he had promised. He said to Shmuel, you can stay with your wife until she gives birth, and after the bris, after the circumcision, but then you will have to continue traveling and begging. Your wife and the child can stay here for two years until he's weaned, and then I will send Hana to you, and the child will remain here with me, and I will raise him as my own son. So the couple was very happy to know, first of all, their son would be born and be healthy and have a bris milah, have a circumcision, and that he wouldn't grow up in poverty and having to wander around like his parents. And not only that, he would be raised by such a great tzaddik like the Baal Shem Tov. What a schut, what a merit. They were certain that their son would grow up to be a great tzaddik like the Baal Shem Tov himself. And about a month later, their son was born. <laughs> Eight days later, they had the bris milah. The Baal Shem Tov was the sandak, and they named the child Eli Melech. And after the bris, Shmuel said goodbye to his wife and his baby boy, and he set forth on his travels once again. The two years went very quickly, and it reached the point that Elimelech was weaned, and now it was Hannah's turn to join Shmuel. But they were allowed to come back once a year to see their son on his birthday. And so the year passed, and they came back for his chalakeh, for his apshurin, where they cut the boy's hair for the first time at three years old, and leave his payas, his side locks, and the parents blessed their son. And the son, of course, didn't know his parents. And he looked at the Baal Shem Tov, who he considered his father, and said, Who's that? And the Baal Shem Tov said, Those are your guardian angels, my son. They're the ones who brought you into this world. 
They're the ones that daven for you day and night. Once a year, they come and visit you. So little Elimelech, he grew up in the home of the Hedegah Baal Shem Tov. And after his upshurn, when he was three years old, he was brought to Cheder. And very quickly, he retained everything that he was taught. He had a photographic memory, and he could take one thing and use it to understand another. And it didn't take long before they called him an Eloi, a prodigy, a genius. And the years went by, and every year, his parents would come and see how their son had grown one full year. And the Baal Shem Tov would wish them success on their wandering, and they would spend the next year wandering from town to town. The years flew by, and Elimelech reached the age of 18, and the Baal Shem Tov said to him, My son, you have now come of age. It's time for you to get married. As the Mishnah says, that the ideal age for a boy to get married is 18. So Elimelech said, Yes, father, what do I need to do? So the Baal Shem Tov said to Elimelech, I want you to go to a particular town. And he names the town. He says, Go to the home of the Sofer, the religious scribe, and tell him that I, the Baal Shem Tov, sent you, and I want you to marry his daughter. Tell him that I want you to come here immediately to Mejibuz so we can draw up the engagement right away. And Elimelech, he took his traveling expenses from his adopted father and went straight to the town where the Baal Shem Tov told him. He asked around, where is the sofer? And when he reached the home, he stood outside and knocked on the door. He noticed it wasn't a very wealthy home. On the contrary, it was a very poor home. There was a mezuzah, but there was nothing very impressive about the house at all. It was a very simple, run-down home. And when the woman of the house opened the door, and he said he was there from the Baal Shem Tov, that he needed to meet her husband, she said he was currently in the base Midrash in the house of study, and he'd be back soon, that he was welcome to sit and wait for her husband to come. Seli Melech sat down and waited, and he's looking around, he sees it's a very simple home, and he noticed in one corner there was a young girl, maybe 16 years old, dressed in patched-up rags, and he wondered to himself, is that my future bride? What amazed Elimelech is because he was raised by the Baal Shem Tov, and he was such a great Torah genius. For many years already, all of the wealthiest Jews had been coming and offering huge dowries for Elimelech to marry one of their daughters. But every time the Baal Shem Tov turned it down, and the bids got higher and higher and higher, but the Baal Shem Tov refused them all. And here he was, sitting in this run-down home, in a tiny village, wondering, is this what the Baal Shem Tov meant? But then Elimelech reminded himself of what a great tzaddik the Baal Shem Tov is, and he knew better than to ask questions like that. So he just sat there patiently, waiting for the sofa to return, and about half an hour later, an elderly man comes in the room. Elimelech stands up and explains why he's there, and the man simply says, very well, let's go. He takes the 16-year-old daughter, Elimelech, and himself, and they get in the wagon and make their way back to the Baal Shem Tov in Mejibuz. The Baal Shem Tov greets them warmly, and right on the spot, they write up a contract for the marriage, the Tanaim. And then the Baal Shem Tov gave the Mechutan, the father of the daughter, enough money to buy a wedding dress and everything needed for the wedding. The date was set, and it was announced that the Baal Shem Tov would be performing the wedding himself. Now in Mejibuz, whenever the Baal Shem Tov performed a wedding, all of the Hasidim and all of the students came. They didn't want to miss such a special event, because it wasn't every day that the Baal Shem Tov did a wedding. And not only that, this was the wedding of Elimelech, the Baal Shem Tov's own adopted son. And hundreds of people showed up, famous rabbis, wealthy people, and also Elimelech's guardian angels, his parents, 
who for all these years were still traveling around from town to town. They were already older. And they didn't have the energy that they used to have. But what joy they had when they saw their son under the chuppah with the Baal Shem Tov. And all of the Hasidim are wondering to themselves, Eli Melech is such a special boy. Who is this bride? Her family's not famous. Her father's not a scholar. They don't have any money. Why did the Baal Shem Tov overlook all those amazing offers and choose this girl for Eli Melech? And after the chuppah was over and everyone's sitting down at the tables and eating the meal, that was the conversation in the Baal Shem Tov heard, everyone speaking about this. So he gives a big bang on the table. And he says, everyone, please quiet down. I have a story to tell you, my sweetest friends. So everyone was quiet and gave the Baal Shem Tov their undivided attention. The Baal Shem Tov tells the story. He said, there was a mighty Polish king who lived many hundreds of years ago. And the king had a son who had a brilliant mind. The more he studied, the more he thirsted to learn more. He was a bottomless pit, couldn't absorb and learn enough. And the king brought in more and more teachers. The son learned multiple languages. And he learned from teachers from all around Europe, and even the Middle East, and even from China. Everyone was brought in to teach this boy. And in every area that he studied, he exhausted all the material until it got to the point that the teachers couldn't offer him any more. So he turned to his father and he said, Father, I'm so grateful for you bringing in all of these teachers and scholars to teach me, but I feel that I need to go out now and learn on my own. I need to experience the world and I need to gather as much information as I possibly can. I need to see different countries and see how things are practiced there and other branches of thinking and philosophy. Would you please give me a carriage and four horses, a servant, and enough money to last me to travel around the whole world? And the king and the queen, they knew that it was pointless in arguing with their son. He would only be miserable staying at home in the palace. So at some point, they agreed to his request. They got him a carriage, horses, a servant, and a huge chest full of money. And with tears in their eyes, they sent their son, the prince, out into the world And he started with one of the bordering countries, visiting the universities and houses of learning, absorbing everything and anything he could. And when he exhausted all he could learn from one country, he went to the next, and then the next. And slowly, he started running out of money. And when all of the money was gone, he had no choice but to sell his servant. Oh, no! And then his horses. <coughs> and finally, the royal carriage. But it didn't bother him, because his quest for knowledge was worth much more to him than all of the money in the world. And at some point, he was completely penniless. He had no choice but to walk along the road. And it was winter at the time. And there was a huge pile of snow on the sides of the road. He was cold and hungry, and he was hoping that someone would find him, and someone would take pity on him, and give him some food and let him sleep somewhere. But for three days, he walked deeper into a thick forest and didn't meet a single soul anywhere. And after three days, he realized that he wasn't going to survive between the cold and not having food. And he turns his eyes towards the heavens and he says, I believe in God. I believe in the creator of heaven and earth who watches over me and guides my steps. And now only God can save me from dying. 
Please, God, listen to me and save me. Show me a light on how to get out of here. And sure enough, way in the distance, he sees a light flickering. And he thought to himself, who could be living in the middle of this forest? He figured it's probably some robbers. But even the robbers would have a little pity on him, freezing and starving. So with his last ounces of strength, the prince made his way to the house. He knocked weakly on the door, and it was opened up. There was an old man standing there. He motioned to the prince to come in, and the prince told him his story, that he was thirsting for knowledge, and that he had run out of money, and that he sold his servant and the horses in the royal carriage, and now he just wanted something warm to eat and drink. And so the old man made him a little meal, and the prince ate it like he hadn't eaten in days, because he hadn't. And the old man said, you probably need some rest. He showed him a nice place to sleep, a warm bed, and the prince laid down and was very happy and went into a deep sleep and slept for several days. Now that the guest was sleeping, the old man was able to get about his own business. And he opened up a large Gemara, a large Talmud, and started singing out loud the words, oblivious to where he was, completely enveloped in the learning. And the prince woke up, and he sees this old man learning from a book like he'd never seen before, in a language he'd never heard before. And he'd never seen anybody studying something with such enthusiasm as this old man. And the prince says to him, what are you studying? The old man said, I'm learning the Torah, which was given to my people at Mount Sinai. And the prince begged, please, sir, teach me your Torah. I need to learn. I need more knowledge. I want to learn the Torah, too. But the old man said, you can't learn Torah if you're not a Jew. If you want to learn Torah, you'll first have to convert. And the prince said, no problem. I'm ready to convert right now. What do I have to do? And the old man said, no, it doesn't work like that. You have to wait at least a few days. I'll start teaching you a little bit about Judaism, and then you'll tell me if it's really what you want. And of course, the prince he just wanted to learn. He learned about Shabbos. He learned about Kashrus. He learned about Tefillin and Tzitziot. He was very excited to become a Jew. And he tells the old man, I want to be a Jew. So the old man said, tomorrow I'll get together a minion, a quorum of men. You can be circumcised and purify yourself in the mikvah. And afterwards, you and I will learn Torah together. The prince went back to sleep, disappointed, and he couldn't sleep. All night, he's excited about learning the Torah, and he stayed awake all night in anticipation of his conversion. Now, the Baal Shem Tov said to the people at the wedding, Don't you wonder how an old man living in the middle of the forest all by himself could get together a minion? And he said, I'll tell you who the other nine men were. They were none other than the three forefathers. Yosef, Moshe, Aaron, they were joined by King David and by two of the tribes. And so that very special holy minion was there for the circumcision of the prince. He went to the mikvah and he was announced a Jew. And everybody sat down to have a festive meal. And afterwards, each one of them walked out into the forest and simply disappeared. And the young prince, he didn't wait to be healed from the bris milah. Right away, he wanted to learn to read Hebrew. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalid. He absorbed everything within seconds. He started learning Chumash and then Mishnah. And it didn't take long before he was deep into learning Gemara. And the prince didn't learn Torah like he had learned science and philosophy. This was different. 
And the old Jew was teaching him to have an awe of Hashem and what holiness is. And the more he learned, the more holy and righteous the prince became. At the end of a year, the prince was a great Torah scholar, versed in all aspects of Judaism. And the old man felt secure that the prince would only grow in his Jewish learning and living. And so he told the young man, The time has come for you to return to your parents, the king and the queen. I've taken care of buying your old horses and carriage back, and your servant as well. Yippee! You're going to take them home and become the prince again. But you don't have to give up your Jewish way of life. You're going to remain a nister, a hidden tzaddik, whose greatness only I will know about. And it was hard for the prince to leave his mentor and the learning that they did every day and night together. But he listened to his teacher and returned home. And now his father and mother, the king and the queen, were very old. And they had lost hope of ever seeing their son again. But when they saw their son standing before their very eyes, they were so happy. And the prince said to his father, I have one request of you, father. I've traveled all around the world, and I don't live the way that we used to. I'm going to need my own home, my own little palace, built to my requirements. Is that okay with you, father? And for the king, who would do anything for his son, this was nothing. He said to a team of workers, build the prince's palace exactly as he says. And soon, there was a palace right next to the king's palace, where the prince could do whatever he wanted, and no one would bother him. And so the prince arranged for ten Torah scholars to come with their families and live in permanent quarters in the palace. And he had a shochet, and a cook, and a mohel, and everything that he needed to live a Jewish life. And no one outside the palace walls knew that the young prince was actually a Jew. And at this time, the old king got news that a neighboring monarch, a neighboring king, was going to fight against him, a war to try to take over his kingdom. And the old king had been very fortunate. He never fought a battle in his entire life. He only lived in peace. And now, not knowing how to fight and not knowing strategies of war, he called in his wise son for his advice. And the boy, of course, had learned many war strategies in his learning and had even fought in armies along the way. He told his father, you have nothing to worry about. I will lead our people in battle, and I will use my knowledge to win this war. And sure enough, his knowledge and his experience helped to win the war. And not only did they get to keep their kingdom, they got the other kingdom as well. And the vanquished king comes before the prince, and he says, I'm at your mercy. My land and everything that I own is yours. But please, do me a favor, a kindness for me. Take my daughter as a wife, so that you can both rule over the two countries together. And he thought about it, and he said, I have to speak to the princess first. And he takes her to a private room, and he says to her, I'm a Jew. I live in my own palace and keep all of the practices and the customs of the Jews. If you want to marry me, you're going to have to become a Jew yourself. And the princess looks at this handsome prince, so intelligent, knowing who he is and what he wants in life. And she agreed. And so the prince sent the young girl to a Jewish settlement where she could learn about Judaism, begin to keep the laws of the Jewish people. And eventually when she converted, they had a chuppah. And she became the queen, and he became the king. And they continued living in the prince's palace, where they could practice their Judaism privately. And they had many children, and those children became Torah scholars. And their children became Torah scholars. 
They helped their fellow Jews whenever they could. And of course, the Baal Shemta was telling the story. He says, eventually they became old and they passed away and they reached the heavenly court. And it was decided in Gan Eden, in heaven, that the two of them, having practiced mitzvot so seriously and with such joy for almost their entire lives, they deserve to reach the highest places in heaven where the most righteous tzaddikim are. But just before they were going to be admitted to heaven, the prosecuting angel comes out and says, Wait, they lived many of their years as non-Jews. They're welcome to go into heaven. But to reach the highest place of the most righteous tzaddikim, that they can't do. And the heavenly court agreed. And so they said they would send the two souls back down to earth once again to be raised as Jews. And that way, when the day came that they went back up to heaven, the prosecuting angel could not make that claim. And now you understand, my sweetest friends, the Baal Shem Tov said, why are Chasen and Kala are such a good match? Because these are the two souls of the king and the queen in our story. And even their names, Eli Melech and Malka, prove the point. Eli Melech, of course, being the son of the king, and Malka being the queen. And so the Baal Shem Tov turns to the Chassan and Kala, the bride and the groom, and he says, We want to bless you with many happy years together in this world and also in the world to come. Mazel tov, my sweetest friends. Mazel tov. Mazel tov. Thank you so much for listening, my sweetest friends. Thank you to all the contributors, all the supporters, and of course, all the listeners. Please keep on sharing and listening. Thank you for all your comments and your contributions. I hope you had a beautiful Hanukkah and have a wonderful Shabbos. And until next week, my sweetest friends, Zai Gesund. Ah. <sighs>